0: Well, good morning. Okay, we're doing that one again. Good morning. That's better. There we go. Well, if you weren't here in the, joke, joke, uh, beginning, my name is Brandon. Uh, I'm the pastor of preaching and vision here at, at Sojourn Heights. And, and before we get into the sermon, uh, I need to do two things. Uh, first thing is uh, add in something about Vision Sunday. Our next Vision Sunday is going to be next Sunday right after our gathering. It'll be downstairs uh, in the... Uh, if, you, if you don't know, this is not our building. Uh, we have a building that's being renovated right now. It was supposed to have been done a few weeks ago. I'm on a tangent. That's going to make me angry if I keep talking about it. But it was supposed to be done a few weeks ago. We don't exactly know when it's going to be done, but Lord willing, it'll be soon. Uh, and so the basement in our in this building is if you go down these steps, uh, right kind of in the door you came in, it's right down there. And that's where we'll have our uh, our next Vision Sunday. I'll be leading it. It'll just be uh, a, a chance over 15, 20 minutes, and and some Q and A to eat some food, drink some coffee, and uh, I'm I'm I think I just said we're going to have coffee. I don't know if we're going to have coffee or not. We'll have something there, uh, and I'll just lay out what it is that we're hoping and dreaming that Sojourn is going to be um, and become. Second thing I need to do. Uh, I know that uh, we've prayed multiple times in our in our gathering today, but but there are times when as uh, as one of your pastors and one of your shepherds here at. Uh, At Sojourn Heights and this local family that uh, that we just get the sense in the gathering that there's a a spirit of distraction in the room. Uh, And so before we move any farther in the word, I'm going to I'm going to pray specifically for us about that. um, That any spirit of distraction uh, might be walled off so we can see Jesus clearly in the text today. So I'm going to pray. Father, we love you. We bless you. I pray right now for this group of men and women this Um, this local family, this local church, this Sojourn Heights church. We are a people, I declare, of Jesus of Nazareth, covered by his blood. And so I pray that as we open up the scriptures, as we walk through the scriptures, Holy Spirit of God, enable us to see Jesus clearly this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're beginning a uh, new series today. We're calling it Kingdom Expansion. Uh, that was because we're not creative enough to come up with a good title, uh, but Kingdom Expansion. We're going to go uh, through a series of selected passages and acts, not not the entirety of acts. That would take a, a full year. We're going to take seven weeks, um, pick out a few passages, especially in uh, particular in the beginning of, uh, of the book. And, and we're going to kind of zero in, dive into them. And today is going to be um, Kingdom Expanded by the ascension. All right, so let me um, let's get started. As a uh, as a culture, as a society, we we have a thousand holidays, right? You name whatever, and we've made a holiday out of it. So we've got cultural holidays: President's Day. Uh, I wrote them down: Memorial Day, Labor Day, uh, and they go on and on and on. Um, we have even invented things like. Bosses Day and Admin Day, which I don't know if y'all know this, those are not real holidays. Like they're not even close to being a real holiday. That's I need an excuse for someone to buy me lunch. And if you're the boss, you probably make more money than people. You should be buying their lunch instead of asking them to buy you. <laughs> I'm stopping right now. Um, we've invented holidays. We, we also have religious holidays, right? So Christmas, um, Easter, Good Friday. Here, here's, what we, uh, here's what we don't have. Uh, We don't have an Ascension Day, right? If you go to a, uh, uh, you know, Hallmark, or do Hallmarks even exist anymore? Uh, If you go to a place to buy cards, you look for an Ascension card, you're not going to find an Ascension card uh, anywhere in there. If you work for Exxon and you go to your boss and you say, hey, man, um, I I think I'm going to take Monday off for the Ascension, he's probably, or she, Whoever your boss is is going to give you a lot longer vacation than that one, more than likely. And I think part of the reason for this, at least the religious holiday side, is that we don't we don't fully understand the importance of the ascension. And so let me illustrate. Uh, let me try to illustrate why the ascension is so important. Uh, I, I've never Googled how you make a grenade or what goes into a grenade, or uh, so don't don't you know turn me in, okay? Uh, but it, the grenade has some, some kind of key components to it right you 've got the shell you 've got the explosives and you 've got the, the pin, and the pin uh, seems like a, uh, a pretty unimportant piece of the grenade unless unless you 're in the room when someone pulls the pin. Jesus life, death, and resurrection. This is the explosives. The ascension is the pin that God pulls. The pin that God pulls that unleashes the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus into your life and into the world. And the point of our text today, where we're at in Acts 1, is that when God pulled the pin, the disciples were in the room. And it changed everything. So let's talk Acts. Uh, Luke and Acts uh, are a two-volume set. Both are written by uh, Luke. Acts 1 and Luke 24 are really meant to be read on top of one another. And Acts 1 is going to take us on a journey. Uh, He kind of dives back into Luke, does a a really high-level overview of of Luke, uh, and then he he takes us from there to the ascension. And as as Luke does, he's going to reveal some things about Jesus. He's going to reveal some things that, that matter deeply to Jesus in this uh, journey. And so here's what we're going to do today. Today we're just going to ask um, a few questions. Question one is going to be, what was important to Jesus? Question two, how does it become important to us? And then three, why does the ascension matter? Right. So what was important to Jesus? How does that then become important to us? And then how, how does the ascension fit into this? Why why does the ascension matter in this equations. Let's jump into verse 1. Acts one one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, in here is the the first thing that is important to Jesus. Look, Look at that little phrase, began to do and teach um, see the 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 book of Luke the Gospel of Luke is all about what Jesus began to do and teach the book of Acts is about what Jesus continues to do and teach but he does it through the church which is why verse two is um, so important he gave commands to the Holy Spirit uh, or through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen which we know who would then go and give them to the church that we would Carry it on, and then uh, in the in the text, the way it's written here, the, the do and teach it's um, it, it Luke does this really beautiful little thing where he screams out the unity of do and teach, where he just holds it up and he unites it because he he wants us to know and he wants us to see that there is no dichotomy in Jesus that in Jesus there's no dichotomy between what he did and what he said between his life and his teaching those are not dichotomized in Jesus and they're not meant to be dichotomized in us. That if we, if we're a people who only do, right, if we only do, we have the social gospel. If we're a people who only teach, we have an academic institution. But inside the church, inside um, what the scriptures would call the the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, there is no dichotomy between what we do and what we say, that we are a united people. And so the first thing is uh, the unity of what we do and teach that it's continued through the church. Let's keep reading verse three. And he presented himself alive to them, alive to them after his suffering and by many proofs. Now here's the, here's the second thing that, that Luke is holding up for us that Jesus wanted us uh, to see. The, The second thing is that he was alive and wanted us to know it. This is, I mean, this is last week. I would, um, our, if you're sojourner, you were traveling last week, uh, our recording uh, our recording died. That's why I didn't get posted. But this was this was last week. This was evidence for the resurrection, that Jesus is alive today. And, and one of the things that I love about Jesus and I love about the Scriptures, one, is that Jesus was the first apologist. Right, the first one uh, who wanted you to know that he was alive was Jesus, that he showed up by many proofs testifying that he was alive alive. And then the the second thing that I love about the Bible, last week we said um, what we love about the Bible so much is how transparent the book is, right? So if you don't know this about Christianity, if you don't know this about Christianity, you you need to know this. You need to know that the Bible is actually an incredibly transparent book. So um, Paul, this guy who wrote much of the New Testament, he, he said things like, 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 like theologically transparent things. If if the resurrection is not true, we are wasting our time. But but then he also said like personally transparent things. He, he said things like, "Man, I'm the worst sinner the world has ever known." That's a that's a paraphrase of Paul. He said, "Why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? I, I have this thorn in my flesh." He was incredibly transparent. If if, if you think Christianity is more of a uh, that's where I go to hide then you need to know that's not what the scriptures will portray. The Bible is actually an incredibly transparent book. That was last week. Now this week. Um, The Bible never asks. This is one of the things I also love about it. It never asks for blind faith. And The Bible never asks for just black and white blind faith. That It it asks for faith grounded in historic events. And so what kind of proofs did Jesus offer? Jump back to Luke 24, and we're going to look at them there. There's a couple of scenes that we could have uh, we could have pulled from the the words will be on the screen, but in one of the scenes in Luke 24, the one that we'll uh, we're going to zero in on, there were these uh, there were these two men uh, on a robe, uh, and Jesus shows up, and this is what he says. These men are are wondering what happened. How did it all go wrong? In verse 25. He says, oh, foolish one. Remember, we're looking at what kind of proofs did Jesus use and show. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, verse 27, listen to this one. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So, what what kind of proof is this? Is this objective proof? Is this subjective proof? I'll, I'll answer. This is subjective, right? This is Jesus' interpretation of the Bible, being himself, and it's subjective because there were um, there were scholars, there were teachers in the day who could come and argue with him, and they they did come and argue with him. But this is the subjective proof out of the scriptures. This is the biblical arguments that Jesus used to show himself. Do we have time for an analogy? Yeah, we do. Y'all aren't going to leave. A um, couple, this is how do we interpret the Old Testament, right? So my, my son, I've got a four-year-old son. He, uh, he's not here or you'd be hearing him break things right now um i have a four-year-old son because he's off with the grandparents not because we left him at home just to clarify in case y'all thought i was a bad parent uh, i have a four-year-old son who came out of his bedroom the other day and he was wearing the you know those like bandana things that go around the eyes right uh and he was carrying a sword and he came out and he and he was like daddy i'm the blue ninja and i was like great is there a green ninja is there like a red like i don't know how ninjas were and and so, um, and also not a, a real sword. We keep those locked in the closet, a plastic sword. Um, I'm just kidding. They're under the bed. Um, <laughs> uh, so he comes out, he's got his plastic sword, his thing. Daddy, I'm the blue ninja. And so I was like, oh, cool, buddy. So we wrestled for a little while and, you know, he fought me. And then I sat him down and I said, hey, hey, buddy, can we talk about ninjas? And he's like, oh, yeah. Uh, and so we, we sit down and I say, man, you know you know what I love about Jesus that Jesus was the true ninja. So now my son thinks that Jesus was a ninja, and it kind of derailed, but that was not the point. <laughs> and I said, let me tell you what I mean, buddy. Here's what I love about ninjas. You know what ninjas do? Man, they're warriors. They get out, and they go, and they fight, and they fight for people. But here's the problem with ninjas. Sometimes they, they fight relying on their own strength. They fight relying on their own abilities. They they don't really rely on God to fight for them, with them, through them. And here's what was awesome. Jesus, like the ninjas, was a warrior. And he went out and he fought for his people. Romans 8, we just read it a minute ago. Like He went out and he conquered for his people. But unlike the ninjas, buddy, he never did it on his own strength. He was always relying on God to fight for him, through him, with him. Jesus was the. And so when we read the Old Testament, when when Jesus read the Old Testament, he he looked back and he saw prophets, he saw priests, he saw kings, and he said, I'm the true prophet. I'm the true priest. I'm the true king. All, All of them point to me, and where they failed, I don't. That's how Jesus interpreted the Bible. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 30. Jumping down. So first proof, subjective. Second proof. Verse 30. When he was at a table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Now this is objective proof. This is Jesus sitting around a table saying, look at me. I'm physically. I'm Breaking bread in front of you. Later in, in Luke 24, it's going to say he's got flesh and bones. This is objective proof to the resurrection and the life of Jesus. That when they saw him on the cross, the story didn't end there. The story of Christ, the story of Christianity, the story of the gospel. He's saying, by many proofs, it didn't end there. I'm, I'm alive today. This is what Jesus was trying to testify to. And and one of the things that I love about Jesus, I mean, there's so many things that I love about Christ. Here's here's another one. Multiple times in Luke 24, he uses both this objective, subjective approach, right? That Jesus didn't have a one-size-fits-all approach to testifying to who he was. And what that says to me is that Jesus will meet you where you are. It says that he knows, like, like he knows and he'll meet you where you are. What do you, what do you need? You, do you need someone to come in and, and walk through scientific evidence for the existence of God and then to walk from there to evidence for the resurrection? It exists. And if that's what you need, he knows, and he's going to put that person in your path. And some of you, some of you don't need that. Like you don't care about that. You just want to hear someone say, I, I don't know what happened, but I know that I love Jesus now. I have no idea why. I could not articulate one possible reason why. This is more my story. This is my story. May of 2000, I'm, uh, I don't know, 22, 22. And these people are in my life now, and they take me to this Bible study, and I go back to church, and I go back to this Bible study. I go back to church, and one Monday night, I'm sitting on my bed, and I have no idea what happened, but I'm on my bed crying, going, God, if this is real, I'm in. If this is real, I'm in. And and here's what it was for me. The scientific proof didn't do it for me. I love it now. In that time, it did nothing for me. Here's what here's what did it for me is that there were a group of men who just loved me. And I mean, I could cuss like crazy in front of them and they loved me. I I could I could tell them I thought they were are there kids in the room? I'm not gonna do it. I shouldn't and if I have to ask that question, I shouldn't say it in a sermon. <laughs> That's a well-done filter right there. I could lay myself bare before them, ask any question about life, and they loved me. I I could tell them, "I, I think it's crazy the way you live your life. And they loved me. And that was the testimony I needed. That was the proof that Jesus was alive that I needed. And I'm way behind, so let's get going. So the first two, unity of what Jesus did and taught. The second, the second thing that was important, that he was alive and we knew it. Verse 3 again, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs. Now we're going to hit the third thing right here. The first two have been building to the climax. Building to the third thing that Luke wants us to know mattered to Jesus and appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That he has 40 days. He's with them between resurrection and ascension. And he spent those 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. This is the third thing that was important to Jesus that Luke wants us to know is that what mattered to Jesus was the kingdom of God. Now, think with me. But the thinking cap. Think with me. Jesus has 40 days left. Now, if you read the, the Gospels, you're going to find something about Jesus. He, he wasn't interested in wasting time. Like, he wasn't in a hurry. Like, Jesus wasn't an anxious kind of guy. In fact, I, I think we could say there was no anxiety in Jesus. But he was incredibly intentional. And with 40 days left, he spends it talking about what? The kingdom of God. This is why we called it kingdom expansion. Because what mattered most to Jesus is what he would have imparted in those last forty days. Imagine this with me. To to try to take our imagination and and work our way back into this day to just feel what Jesus might have felt as he was thinking, what is it I have to say in this limited time that I have left? Imagine imagine with me um, that you have two kids. You're married, you have two kids. They're 11 and they're 9. A boy and a girl. And imagine that uh, you you find out I I have 40 days left to live. Just imagine with me. I've got two kids. I've got a a spouse. Wife for me. Husband for some of you. 11-year-old, 9-year-old boy and a girl. And you find out I've got 40 days left to live in those 40 days that you have left to live, let me tell you what it is you're going to talk to your kids about. It's going to be about whatever is most important to you that you want to impart to them and leave with them for the duration of their life. Right? If you, if you think the answer to life, if you think the answer to life is career advancement, you're going to write a journal about how to get ahead in your career and how to work the way up the ladder. If you think it's, parenthood you're you're gonna you're gonna give a detailed list in those 40 days of how to go about being a good parent if you think it's marriage you're gonna walk through that whatever it is that you think is most important about life that you want to impart to them is what you're going to talk about in those 40 days jesus had 40 days and he left them with the kingdom of god and here's what Here's what I want you to see. That whatever was most important to Jesus then should be most important to us now. Whatever was most important to Jesus then should be what's most important to us now. Because it will, it will govern how you live your life. Whatever is most important to you will govern how you live your life. And so what's the challenge? Why Why? why is it so difficult? Because on, on surface, right, an, another Sunday where we gather together, hearing a pastor preacher say, uh, whatever is most important to him then should be most important to us now. So why do I struggle? Like not you, this is not you. Why do I struggle? Like why do I struggle to live out the belief in what I just said? Let me let me tell you one reason I think. I think that one reason is because we, we make value add decisions daily. I mean, day in and day out, we make value add decisions that whatever will add the most value to our life becomes what's most important to our life. And the problem is the problem is that we tend to be a short sighted people. We, we tend to be a really short-sighted people who make short-sighted, value-based decisions. And when we make short-sighted, value-based decisions, he, here's what happens. Almost always, almost always, they're about what will create the most enjoyment of life now on a surface level, or what will bring about the most healing to the pain of life right now. And what happens is that they're almost always self-serving and they objectify people. And so I'm going to give you two examples. One pretty obvious, one not as obvious. Let's talk pornography. Pornography. No one one walking their way into a porn addiction says, this is going to ruin my life. That is not how it begins. It begins with a value-based decision that says for all of the all of the loneliness I feel right now, for for all of the um, sexual frustration I feel right now, this is going to provide the escape that I need. And we never articulate it that way; like you don't you don't logically think through it that way. But that's what's happening, and it provides an escape that we think functionally adds value to our life. And the truth is, it's a lie and it's an illusion. And it's destroying your life. And there are men and women inside of our family right here. Men and women. This is not only a male issue. Who are on fire right now. Who desperately need to scream, I'm on fire right now. Who need brothers and sisters around them to come step into the flames with them and help them walk out of the fire. And if I could be straightforward with my church family, right now some of you are being fools. You're living with one foot in the light, one foot in the dark, and it's going to kill you. that one's pretty obvious. Pretty obvious how that one's self-serving, how that one objectifies people. Let me me, me pick one that's not so obvious. What about about our church, our our church family? Here's what what often happens. When we think about the church that we're going to become a part of, we, we often treat her like we do buying a house. And so we we line up the list of must-haves, and then we find a church that matches the must-haves, right? So it, it must have a, a booming children's ministry with a lot of kids, peer-to-peer relationships for my kids. It must have a singles ministry where I can not be single anymore. It must have... Oh, was that one close to home? for so? <laughs> uh. It must have killer music. It, it must have great preaching. Not gospel preaching. That, that is a must have. And here, here's what happens. This list of must haves is a roadblock to the actual thing that you must have. What you must have is a church family disciples and trains and equips into you the most important things to Jesus becoming most important to you. That's what you must have. A community of men and women where the most important things to Jesus become the most important things to us. And when they're not, when it's a list of must-haves, it objectifies the people that make up that body. So what was most important to Jesus? The expansion of the kingdom of God. This is the must have. And and listen, it, if 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 that is not the most important thing to sojourn, meaning Sojourn Heights, Sojourn Montrose, Galleria, or One Day, I See You Carlos, Sojourn East End, Paul Sojourn We Don't Know What Yet. If that's not the most important thing to sojourn, you have the green light to not be here. Because we would not be discipling into one another the most important things to Jesus which is what we do. So the most important thing to Jesus needs to be the most important thing to us, namely, kingdom of God. This is what he wanted them to know. Question two. How does this mean? Sorry, Paul. I'm way behind y'all. I hope you don't have lunch plans. Question two. How does it become most important to us? Verse four, we're going to speed up, I promise. You'll be done for dinner. Um, I'm just kidding. The masses on today. I'll be done by two, all right? And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Now, here's how what was most important to Jesus becomes most important to us. For John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, here there's, there's two baptisms uh, here. One, the baptism with water by John, and then the baptism of the Spirit. Let me just quickly tell you what these things are. Quickly, this is what it is. The baptism of John with water, what did that point to? What did it point to? It pointed to the baptism of Jesus in the cross. It pointed to the day when Jesus would go to the cross. and He would be immersed that he would be poured over by the wrath of God, baptized into his own blood for you and for me. And then the baptism of the spirit is where the spirit comes in and seals and applies the death of Jesus to us. This is how, how through the death of Jesus getting applied it to us by the baptism of the spirit that was going to come. We're going to talk about next week in acts two. This is how what was most important to Jesus becomes most important to us. The question is, why in the world is it in here? Like, if you just think for a minute, like, follow the flow of Acts 1. You have to stop at Acts 4 and 5 and ask, why in the world would this little text even be in Acts 1? And I think here's, here's why. Here's, here's why. It, it, it's so that we would never forget. So that you... And I would never forget that life comes through death. That the life of Jesus in us gets birthed in us because of the death of Jesus. And that the kingdom of God was established by the death of God. And it was God the Son on the cross dying for you and dying for me. That's why. And so it becomes most important to us when we die a thousand deaths a day. When we die a thousand deaths to our own desires. When we, when we take our own desires and we lay them bare and we're willing to let them die. Because the kingdom of God is more important. That's how it becomes most important. we apply the gospel to ourselves over and over and over. Until Jesus' desires become our desires. This is how it becomes most important to us. And so with these new desires, why does the ascension matter? Where does it fit in? Point three or question three. Why does the ascension matter? Verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God to Israel? Of God's not in there. I just made that up apparently. Restore the kingdom to Israel. This is a, this is a, a fundamental misunderstanding that these guys have still had. And I don't have time to get into it, but yes, I do. Uh, at Luke 24, that Jesus, it's going to start in Jerusalem and go to the end of the earth. What did he say in Matthew 28? The Great Commission. What is it? Go make disciples of what? Of who? All nations. All nations. That when Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, he's reorienting the disciples to see it as all nations, and they still didn't get it. And look at how he responds, because Jesus is such a gentle shepherd. He is a gentle shepherd. And so for you, brother, sister, in this room right now, who just, man, you struggle to get it. You just feel like, I can't get it together. Look at Jesus' response. Because as gentle as he was with the disciples, He would be just as gentle with you. He's honest, but gentle. Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So this is, he's honest with you. This is the honest statement of Jesus. Now, look at this. But you will receive power. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so why, why, why do I know Jesus is gentle? Because he's already said this multiple times to the disciples. And he re-articulates it to them. He, he doesn't say, come on, idiots. Really? And he's, not, and he's not saying, come on, Carlos. Come on. He's a gentle, loving shepherd is here. Now, two things here that we have to see. One, the word power, it means ability. It just just means the ability to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the end of the earth. And, And this is from the Spirit it says. Which means the ability to establish the kingdom, to expand the kingdom through us is the Spirit's work to do which has some rich application for sojourn heights. Let me let me tell you something. 2008 Sojourn Heights didn't exist. Who knows what's going to happen to this Sojourn family throughout all of Houston. We, we, may, we may one day, by God's grace, have 20, 30, 50 Sojourn congregations, and all of it will be the Spirit's work. All that has happened over the last five years is us joining in what the Spirit of God is doing. We don't take credit for what's happened in the heights through sojourn. We are along for the ride for what the Spirit of God wants to do in our neighborhood and in our city. We are simply, I mean, we're on the train. of this. That's a bad analogy. I'll stop. Second thing. Second thing. Luke's setting up the outline for the book of Acts. That, that Acts follows this outline Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria ends of the earth so 1 through 7 8 through 12 13 to 28 it follows the outline that he's that he's setting up and that's going to become important here in a minute and so if I could just revisit my analogy about the grenade the pin is about to get pulled verse 9 and when he had said these things as they were looking on he was lifted up in a cloud that took him out of their sight this is the ascension. And if I could, let me change analogies to try to maybe teach a little bit about the ascension here. The word ascend uh, could have a double meaning, right? So you, you can ascend a mountain, right? And that's a physical, spatial, I'm up. It, it also could mean um, you ascend to the throne of England, right? Which is, which is not a spatial ascension, but a changing relationship to the people of England. And in the text, both are happening. Both are happening right here. That There is a spatial Jesus is ascending from the earth to the right hand of the Father. And then there is a changing relationship where he is inaugurated, if you will, king over the earth. And so how does this ascension change your life? Why? Why does it matter? How does the ascension train into us what was most important to Jesus becoming most important to us? Here's how. Here's how. You you have to let Jesus ascend to the throne of your life. You must have Jesus ascend to the throne of your life, submitting your life to the rule and reign of Jesus. And when you do, you have a new value system. You have a new set of values that become your values that govern life's decisions. And so let me give you a practical example that my wife and I are going through right now. We have 3 kids. We live in an apartment. We would love to not live in an apartment. Lord willing, we'll be able to rent or purchase a home soon. We would love we would love a yard. It would be amazing if we had a yard. My son could break stuff outside of the home. It would be a win. But a yard is no longer a governing value in our life. Now, don't get me wrong. It would add value to our life. There is no doubt about that. But it is not a governing value in our life. We're hopeful. It'd be amazing. In fact, we're looking at one right now. I'm not going to tell you where it is because it's a sweet deal, and y'all go get it out from under me, and we're not having that. It would be incredible. But what's the governing value in my life now? that the kingdom of God would be expanded through this family in the part of the city that God has called us to. That is now the governing value in our life. And so I'm going to keep reading because in something that I find amazing. This opening to Acts where he's building to the ascension doesn't end with the ascension. Verse 10 And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. So here we have this opening book or opening to the book of Acts and in this this early days of the church and it opens up with the return of Jesus. It opens up with, listen, you, you see him ascending. Don't worry, one day you're going to see him returning. Why in the world would Luke have included the return of Jesus in this opening story where it's this turning point in the history of the church where Jesus leaves and what he did is now empowered to, to, to continue through the church? Why would Luke have included this in here? He, here's why. I think why. I told you a minute ago uh, that Luke set up the outline for the book of Acts. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, end of the earth. At each turning point along the way, what does God use to expand the church? He uses suffering. To get the church to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, suffering. From Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth, suffering. And what does Luke want you to know? Luke wants you to know that Jesus is not an escapist and Jesus was not escaping what was about to happen. He wasn't an escapist, and so we are not escapists. That there would be this day when Christ would return to redeem all that the world is and so kingdom expanded for the kingdom to expand through us. Here's what you're going to find in the book of Acts. You're going to find that as a people, as a church, we don't assimilate and we don't retreat but we redemptively engage. So as a church, we we don't just assimilate to our culture and context, whatever that one is, and live our lives in no distinct way from the culture and context. We also don't retreat from the culture and context. We redemptively engage. That is how kingdom gets expanded through the church. And so the way I want to Land the plane is like this. I'm going to lift the plane a little bit and land it like this. We, we announcement said we have a new website. I love the new website. It's incredible. Um, we also in there have a new mission statement written on there. Uh, our new mission statement for Sojourn uh, is, is this. Let me read it to you. Joining the Father, Son, and Spirit in the historic work of redemption. So let me tell you why we settled on this, on this mission statement. Because it lacks some practicality, doesn't it? And that was on purpose. That was no accident. Our vision statement fleshes out the how. It fleshes out the, this is how. In fact, tomorrow night, what we're praying through um, what, with us, with Sojourn, Sojourn uh, Montrose, Sojourn Galleria, what we're, what we're praying through is the mission statement. And the fleshed out language in our vision statement about who we want to be and become here. But our mission statement, joining the Father, Son, and Spirit in the historic work of redemption. One day, I'll teach on every word that we have in there. Because each one was picked with intentionality. But for now, let me say this. We, we wanted a mission statement that would say, we are linked arms with the global body of Christ. That those men and women, those men and women in Kenya. The The 147 who lost their life because they love Jesus. We have the same mission they have. Our, our purpose for existence is no different than theirs. And the other reason is that it, it coming out of this text right here, coming out of um, Jesus giving what I think you could call a mission statement to the disciples, go and be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth, that was an amazingly unpractical statement. There is not one of those men who would make it to the end of the earth. And, and, and here's, here's what can never happen. Not that it has, but here's what can never happen. Mission can never get reduced to a strategy. Ever. Because what we want to lay out before you, by God's grace, is a mission slash vision statement. That holds out before you the same mission and the same vision that Jesus had for the apostles. That's what we mean one holy Catholic and apostolic church. If we ever, if we ever lay before you a mission for sojourn, what we're doing at Sojourn, that's so practical that it forgets and it forsakes that we have the same mission, same dreams. That Jesus had for the apostles, then we're cheating you and we're short sighting us. And we don't want that. We don't want that. What what has the church, what were the apostles doing when he said, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth? What were they doing? They were joining the Father, Son, and Spirit in the historic work of redemption. So that's why we picked that mission statement. So, how? How how does this happen? How, How does All that was important to Jesus become important to us and the ascension empower it and unleash it day in and day out into our lives. Here's how Jesus ascends to the throne of your life, where because he is ruling and reigning, you can die a thousand little deaths a day, so that what was most important to him can become most important to you as we together, along with the apostles would join the Father, Son, and Spirit in the historic work of redemption from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the heights to Houston and to the end of the earth. May God always keep that as what's before us. Let's pray.